If you want to throw 500 feet in disc golf, you have to fix this in your form right now or otherwise you will never be able to touch that number accurately or consistently. Let's get into today's podcast right now. Hey guys, how's it going? My name is Tiger Lattice and you're listening to the Chain Clankers Podcast. Welcome into the Chain Clickers Disc Golf Podcast, presented by Upper Park Disc Golf. The best disc golf bags in the business are American-made, made from sustainably used resources, environmentally friendly, and they just came out with a new Pinch Pro bag, which if you're interested in getting what I think is possibly the best disc golf bag on the market under $100, check out our YouTube video explaining more. You will not regret it. Using promo code CLINKERS10 saves you 10% as well as it helps our brand out and we do appreciate that today we've got on a very nice guy that we met at the seeker showcase tai is joining us tonight he has really grown his disc golf game he's changed his lifestyle he started his own brand and is absolutely killing it on the instagram tai how are we doing tonight man oh i'm feeling blessed guys definitely better than i deserve and uh it's i'm so excited to be on the podcast i've only done so many of these things so bear with with me as we go through it but uh, yeah i'm having a blast and uh we're we're blessed for sure <laughs> Ty, talk to me a little bit what was disc golf first like for you how did yeah. you first initially get into the sport yeah um so i actually discovered disc golf on youtube like many people back in 2020 definitely came up in that covid swing um but i was in a very very rough place in my life very overweight i was 365 pounds and uh, I was kind of vegged out to my room and many, like many of us, you know, during COVID, we were just kind of stuck. So I uh, stumbled upon disc golf, found it on Jomez, started watching it. And I watched the whole 2019 pro tour in two and a half months and just caught the bug and been obsessed ever since. So, all right. So walk me through that a little bit more. So you are vegged out as you called it in your room. Not feeling the best in general, obviously, just a little bummed, which is fine. Everybody's been there. What? Mm -hmm. So you watched the whole season in two and a half months. Kind of what made you, first of all, get hooked like that? And then what for, what, after that happened, what happened next? Like go outside and you're playing every day, kind of walk me through um, that. I think just the, the nature of disc golf is super fun to watch. Seeing a disc fly, seeing it go far, seeing it, you know, Mm -hmm. weasel its way through limbs of a tree, whatever it might be, um, watching that type of content just attracted me really hard. And so I just really enjoyed um, watching discs fly and seeing what they could do in the air. Um, And then, you know, shortly after watching it, um, literally the next, after I got done with Worlds, um, I essentially told myself, okay, I want to go out and try playing this. Um, asked the wife, Hey, you know, I want to get some discs. I want to go and play. She's like, yeah, get out of the house, go enjoy. And so, uh, sure enough, I did. And, um, I bought the base set for, uh, like the base beginner set from dynamic discs and very, very fast kind of grew out of them. Um, when I first started playing disc golf, I was throwing 350 plus. Um, I just kind of always had a knack for having a little bit more distance than the average player. Um, and on day five of playing, I played with a thousand rated guy from here in Oregon. I had no clue who he was, um, but he was very, very good. And essentially he told me, kid, I, I've never seen somebody come out, throw 375 feet after only playing disc golf for five days. 
you have a lot of uh, you have a lot of potential. And if you don't take this the wrong way, but if you lose the weight and commit your life to it, you'd probably be one of the best pros we've ever seen. So that put a lot of fire underneath, you know, my feet, and I've just been running ever since. So. <laughs> wow. I can't imagine a being uh, being able to throw that far nowadays, but b, uh, <laughs> but b, I yeah. mean, just having someone of that kind of you know stature just hyping you up like that. I mean, that just kind of shouts out why disc golf is such an amazing community uh, that people are that nice, and you know, obviously, he's not BSing you or anything like that. He'll probably tell you straight how it is, which is also appreciated and good because that's how you also can get better and actually trust those people are saying the correct things to you you and so i want to explore that a little bit right you know you get out there playing really good you hear these nice things and you hear the hey you got to drop some weight what happened next yeah so shortly after that uh we essentially moved to alaska um just for a different scenery different opportunity and that's when i started to really get to the grind of saying okay i'm here in alaska the winters are way worse here uh, we actually moved up there in november of 2020 so it was pretty much drove through a blizzard it was crazy we got stuck in canada it was all types of crazy things that were happening but i uh essentially told myself if i'm going to make this my career this is the time when i need to be in the gym so i went on a quick weight, weight loss journey um i lost initially over 60 pounds i was in the gym every single day um it was non-stop i was having a great i ate everything so ezra came out with a video uh saying what he eats, and I strictly took that diet for six months straight. I didn't eat anything else. I ate exactly what Ezra Aderhold was eating, and I called it the Ezra Aderhold diet, and it worked, you know, because essentially I went vegan <laughs> and, you know, was just grinding. So it was a very, very tough process. I don't recommend it for everybody, but uh, I'm a very headstrong person. Um, you know, I believe I have huge growth and potential in this sport and so i just lost a bunch of weight grinded as a player um and just got acquainted with the alaskan disc golf scene and then you know now of course i've moved back to oregon and now this is where i reside so kudos to you for going through that and putting yourself on ezra's diet i heard about that and i was like oh man i don't know if i could yeah. do that but hey more power to everybody who does like that would be tough but i'm i'm super pumped for you super proud of you man um i know we just met each other but i'm <laughs> Proud of you, buddy. Um, anyways, that's killer. So now you are obsessed, killing it on it. Quentin mentioned something about it earlier, killing it on Instagram. Kind of where do we go from move back to Oregon and then you decide to start up and fire up this Instagram and kind of explain how yeah, that's man, been it's going. Been, what, what it's been a journey, right? So in Alaska, I kind of made myself known as like the number one um, content creator for Alaska and disc golf. And... Um, I told myself when we move back to Oregon, because we had plans to, um, I want to grow that brand and essentially be the best in Oregon and then eventually the West Coast. And then, you know, of course, I have big plans to essentially be the biggest personality in disc golf. But at least right now, I'm, I'm very close to being um, one of the biggest content creators in Oregon. And uh, I've been pushing out a lot of content, a lot of reels. I've done multiple six-figure videos. Uh, five-figure video views. Uh, I've done 500,000 views in the last 90 days, and I've gotten over 2,500 followers um, simply by posting content and just providing value back to the community. So um, it's it's been a huge grind. 
big time. <laughs> it takes a lot of my time, but uh, it's it's the journey, man. It's the grind. It's it's my life. I love doing this. So. Yeah, absolutely. I think if you're going to commit yourself to content, especially disc golf content, you have to love what you're doing and you have to enjoy the process. I can't, I'm going to butcher the audio, so I'm not even going to try to, but, you know, putting together reels and stuff daily as well, you know, you hear a lot of different audios and, and one of them discusses a lot about how it's not the end goal it's not the end point that matters. It's the grind. It's the journey that you should enjoy. And you, if you really want to be successful, you're not going to necessarily care about the end goal. It's how, what are you doing during the grind and how are you doing it and how are you growing? And, and I, I can just absolutely see it with, you know, what you're doing so far. And I want to talk more about your content structure. You know, what has allowed you, what has been working right for you that has led to this much success so soon? Yeah. So, um, I follow a ton of Instagram coaches and, um, it's very public knowledge. I mean, anybody could go out and do this, but I essentially structured myself to do 60% educational videos things that are providing value back to the community, helping the community disc golf grow larger and better than it ever has. So um, it takes some creative process to understand what to put out and what people are buzzing for. But uh, as long as you're essentially pushing value out there, um, it's positive, it's love, um, and it's disc golf, this community is super strong and it's you know, a bit instrumental to essentially just putting out tips, videos, weekly growth videos. Um, and they've tracked super, super well. So I guess that's my number one tip for if you're just starting out on social media and you're in this disc golf niche and space, like find a way to be a very strong force, but by providing value and education. So if someone was going to come to Thais, Instagram, first of all, let's shout it out. Second of all, what can they expect to see? I know you just gave us a little tip, but let's get a little rundown of uh, what we're what we're looking at here. Yeah, yeah. So I essentially I'm a developing professional disc golfer. I market myself that way. Um, I truly believe I will be on tour within a year or two. And um, I'm always providing my story, kind of the grind of how to get there and a weekly tip um, trend and growth videos. So that's my brand, my market, um, and I'm also Native American, so I attract to a huge crowd of Native Americans. You know, I have a foundation I want to make one day where, um, you know, I travel to all the Native American reservations in the United States and help develop disc golf courses and give out plastic to kids and such and just grow the sport massively on the Native scene. And so um, I'm always working towards those things. So my content is completely catered to those things that I enjoy and love, but also I want to help this, I want to help this sport grow bigger and better than it ever has. So um, that's it's a steady, heavy goal, but you know, I embody it. This is my life. So. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the pro tour side there. What are you doing today that is going to put you on a path toward getting towards the pro tour? Yeah. I mean, weight loss is a big one, right? And just getting to peak athleticism. Um, I've lost total now is 85 pounds. Um, and I want to be able to lose 165 and essentially have like a Jordan Castro-esque story. Um, many people know Jordan. He's a bomber. He plays really well. He's in that Arizona scene now. Um, and he's on tour. So 
I want to be obviously better than Jordan. <laughs> you know, I want to go out and you know have a Paul and Ricky, um, you know, life and legacy, and I believe I will. So, um, I guess that's part one is making sure that this body is right. Part two is mental. Um, I have to believe that I will be one of the best. If I believe I'm going to be second, um, that's the only results I'll ever get. So uh, my mental game is always going towards being the best. Um, and then three, just setting the right people in the right place. Like I have a nutritionist that's coming onto my team. I have a gym coach as well. I have a distance coach for backhand. Big shout out to Slingshot Disc Golf. Absolutely love Coach T. Um, he's gotten me from essentially throwing – barely 400 to 525 feet and I'm not at peak athleticism. My form still has a lot of growth and potential. So, you know, the, the sky's the limit. Um, so I'd say it's those three things, you know, I'm setting my, my body upright, my mental, and I'm putting all of the right um, people in the right roles to help me get there. So, I mean, your distance has increased incredibly. Mm -hmm. What is like the main thing you think has helped? Um, I know you shouted out slingshot, but like, what is the main thing that you have learned that has helped you really just bomb and crush out there? I'm sure there's a ton of people that are wanting to be able to throw 300 feet right now or 350. Like what is, what is the main tip you would have for that type of growth? I usually tell people uh, to create space in between their body and get into an athletic, allow yourself to get into athletic, you know, form and athletic positions. Um, there's so, there's a huge issue in this sport of people rounding huge, um, issue with them not being able to pull the disc through very clean. So that's like one of the biggest things I work with people. Um, I have students of myself that I work with and it's always what we need to make sure that we're having this rubber band effect and slingshotness um, by staying loose, but at the same time, setting ourselves from the ground up to create good space, have closed hips, um, have the disc away from us rather than be in front of it. So, um, that's usually the number one thing I talk with people about is creating space. And then eventually with a lot more coaching, we can get people to essentially start slingshotting discs very, very far. So I have a student right now, he's literally 16 years old and he's throwing over 300 feet and it's only been his second day. He's wow. ever picked up a disc. So it's, I believe it's a try and program yes. and <laughs> I believe in it wholeheartedly. So. Yeah, that's, that's really, really cool. And so that's maybe impressive. let's break that down a little bit more. So the first kind of things that are coming to my mind, when I hear rounding, there's two. There's one where your arm's pretty much out straight and you're literally going on a circle. But there's the other one where your reach back is going behind your body which in turn, when you try to pull through, you might think that you're hitting a power pocket, but instead you're coming up through more in that circular motion. So when you're saying creating space, instead of when you're doing your X step, your reach back is parallel or you know behind your body. I, I don't know if behind your back is a good way of saying it, but that's kind of what I'm like visualizing here for the audio listeners behind your back. So you almost want to have it more, I don't even know, like a foot or so off of your body, almost kind of in front of you. So that way when you're actually coming through, it forces that right angle to happen with your shoulder or your shoulder, your elbow and your arm. Your elbow kind of creates that 90 degree angle. Am I, am I hitting the right thing so far? Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th 
Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Yeah. Yeah, we, we at Slingshot use a little bit different vocabulary. Um... I don't necessarily believe in the power pocket. I think it's a buzz buzzword, but I don't necessarily think if you're truly creating lag with the upper body, you're never going to be in necessarily a perfect angle right in front of your chest. Um, when you're rotating through, you're more out in front of you and your elbow's coming through and it's slinging. So, um, but when you are essentially creating space, the biggest thing is having this integrity um, of your arms when you're coiling and going back, all you need to do is to unfold at the elbow. Most people collapse it towards the chest or bring the bicep really close to the chest. Um, if you think of a whip being very, very loose, it has fluid motion and you need to be able to have that fluid motion, be able to go out away from you and come back in and go out away from you again. And so creating that necessary space, I, I have videos on my uh, Instagram teaching it. Um, so if that's some, for anybody listening, if you want to go and find that, I have that content already put out there. Um, but you know, it's, it takes time, you know, mechanics, uh, aren't always the easiest for people to understand nor, um, train super well with the knowledge that we have in the sport. Unfortunately, I believe 90% of coaches out there, um, come, came from a world of unathletics and they teach non-athletic movements. You know, I, I feel blessed to be with a coach that has come from the world of athletics and we break things down on a biomechanical level and how to have efficient movement to have explosive torque. And so that's just one, one caveat to, you know, working with a coach, we talk about a lot of explosive torque and just how to get that out of the body, but also by staying very loose and getting effortlessness um, through, throughout the throw. So one thing I've heard that I was kind of wanting to get your thoughts on Ty is Imagine the disc always can see where, like, the line it's supposed to be on. So if you think about, like, you're trying to throw the disc at the basket that's, whatever, straight down there. If you round it behind you and the disc can't, like, there's, if there were eyes on, if your eyes were on the disc and you reach back and you can't see where you're going, that, to me, may, that really helped me understand. And I wanted to make sure that's, that is, that's essentially one way of kind of thinking about it. Is that, does that sound correct? Um, yeah, it's tough, right? Because um, I, again, I think ninety percent of coaches in the sport would say yes. I think Slingshot would say yes with an asterisk. Um, head placement okay. is super crucial to help align um, the core to actually get all the way through. But also, we don't want to be looking back at our disc. There's a moment where, um, when you're coiling, your head needs to essentially stay by this shoulder. Um, it's helping with everything of the upper body to stretch properly and contract 
and then be explosive and come out. So um, I don't look back at my disc at all. I, but also I don't reach back too early. If you watch a lot of my newer form, I'm coiling and my arms are still going back as I coil like here. Um, and Drew Gibson does this very, very well. You'll see him essentially he's fully almost coiled, um, still coming through that X step progression and his arm snaps away and snaps back really, really fast. So I try to teach people that movement. It's more of like a V movement in and out. Um, I think the sport is going that direction. The in and out is a massive aspect to the double move and just slingshotting discs and getting the rubber band effect to work. Um, but keeping our eyes on the disc the whole time and making sure that we see it through the line, um, I think can help some players. But I think as you're going further and further into pro form, that starts to not be such a thing. So, Right. And I, sorry, I think I might've been unclear. I was not meaning like looking at the disc when I push it back. I was, I was meaning like the disc needs to be able to see the path, right? Ah. If that may, yeah. like if the disc had eyes, you don't, I'm not saying watch the disc. I'm saying like, if the disc has eyes and your body's in the way, mm -hmm. like that's just one way of thinking about keeping space between the disc and your body yeah. does is that like that's, a that's, do you think does that make that's 100 correct yeah you need to make sure that okay. the disc uh is essentially not you're not blocking the view of the disc to be able to come all the way through that's the most efficient way to have it clean and be coming across essentially the front of your body so yeah thanks for clarifying okay. that um yeah no i was like oh i might not i but i sometimes when i try to explain stuff it just <laughs> No, you're good. So I had to, I had to, quote, had to clean that one up. Bad. That was Thanks good. That. That, was, that was a good clip right there. Um, <laughs> so something that I know I have struggled with when trying to implement this into my game, because I think that I have done a poor job of doing the V in out in my first couple of years. And so I'm trying to really work on that is that one, sometimes I'll throw in a have elbow pain and I'm like, whoa, that's kind of weird. Don't know why that's happening. Two is that I'll find myself almost grip locking more coming off with even more Anheuser release like it's coming in and then it's almost like a, okay, well, here we go. There's not necessarily that out leaving it straight or going hyzer. It's almost always going right since I'm a right hand backhand. It's always going that Anheuser direction out of the release. And if you throw something understable, it's just going to turn into a roller. I know you can't see it, but... If someone was telling you that, what things would be coming to your mind of, hey, you're probably missing this? Two things I notice with beginners all the time. They're not creating enough space, even when they think they are. Um, and two, they're not as athletic, um, essentially nose over toes as they should be. I really, really preach nose over toes, making sure that our chest is down. That way we can be in a very strong position because when we're standing straight up and trying to reach back straight up it's going to be very very natural if anything is off to not be able to just rotate on a straight plane to come all the way through um, especially if there's not enough space there i mean there's guys in this game that we see that create a ton of space i think there's extremes to it like not to say anything bad about him but eric oakley has he creates a ton of space but the disc still comes through very, very clean for how he does his form. Um, 
I necessarily don't think it's the, the easiest thing for a player to go and watch and then repeat. <laughs> but um, I, I think there's an easy medium to it. Um, where I create space a lot of times is just making sure that if I have what we call these chicken wings, right? Your your hands are in front of your chest. Your elbows essentially are, are relaxed. Your, your shoulders are relaxed. All you need to do after you coil is just unfold the elbow. If you unfold the elbow, you're creating enough space at that point. Um, that's what I have found for myself. And uh, I think the other thing, and it really comes back to that aspect of like being loose. Um, when most people feel pain in certain places, um, it's because they're, they're contracting something and it's tweaking and you're putting a lot of torque placement on that area. And usually it's because you're doing something wrong. So I, I never feel pain in sh my shoulder, elbow, wrist, but I don't use it, right? So I'm not like holding those like things really, really tight. If anything, like everything's just a limp noodle <laughs> in my arm. Um, it helps me to efficiently, you know, get the disc all the way through, but get that snappy snappiness. Um, so I'd say yeah, sometimes you just got to create more space, but then two, you need to be nose over toes. You need to be in an athletic stance. Um, if you're not, you're way more susceptible to rounding, way more susceptible to throwing things on a slight any angle. Um, that's just my two things to it. That's interesting. So you say your arm is essentially a limp noodle besides your little chicken wing, and then you pop the arm out, or you, you extend the elbow. Yeah. So if you're a limp noodle, the one thing I thought of is kind of how is your, what is your grip looking like? Like, are you firm? Are you like yeah. relatively, like, can you talk grip a little bit in this situation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, essentially it's, it's tight power grip, but loose wrist, right? So I have full control over this disc. I can make sure that I can hold this thing. It's not going anywhere, but my wrist is loose. Um, and when it's essentially coming through, I'm able to essentially flick this as hard as I want because I am gripping it as hard as I need to. Um, but it's also coming through on a cleaner plane um, by doing so. And it's, it's getting the actual slingshotness. There is a rebound effect that happens, but uh, if you don't have a good grip of the disc, um, I do mostly everything power grip. Um, power grip modified like some people say this is like front-loaded power. I just call it modified power. This is only for approach. Um, you'll never see me doing fan grip. I am not a fan grip fan. Um, and then, of course, like putting, right? So that's the only time I guess fan grip happens, but it's never off the tee. But, yeah, power grip, I believe, is has the most control. And you just need to make sure that if you are having a tight grip, you also need to have a loose wrist. This wrist needs to be able to be the tip of the whip. Um, the tip of the whip needs to be elastic. It needs to have free movement. You'll see in some of my videos when I unfold at my elbow, it's coming through, you know, but there's a moment if you slow it down, my wrist is like opened out, comes through and then opens out again. And that's helping create that snap effect. It's very audible. You'll hear it as well. Um, but yeah, got to have a tight grip, loose wrist, loose arm, loose elbow. The, the shoulder is the only burn that you're ever going to feel in it is like a calisthenic burn. It's just because it's placed up here. It's never because you're having internal rotation or anything on it. So Two questions off of that. The first one is the wrist. Okay, I'm going to demonstrate for our YouTube folk, and I'm going to explain it for our audio folk. The wrist, when you're coming through, do you want that – do you want your wrist to be 
coiling toward your bicep. So when it comes through, you have mm-hmm. that full motion in your wrist as you're uncoiling or should that be kind of more straighter so like if you're watching on youtube it's coming through like this kind of on straight plane so when it comes through it just flicks out or should your wrist wrist be cocked back to where it's you're almost like trying to grab your bicep so when you come through you have that full range of throwing is that is that kind of what you're talking about when you're talking about the wrist Yeah. Yeah. Full range of motion. Right. So if we are getting, um, if we're having anything like if this has to stay isolated and stay in this position, it's going to be stiff. If I focus on reaching like this and I'm straight back and then I'm coming through with essentially a board, if everything's just flat, the expectation that you should be having at that point is the disc is just going to come out like a board. You know, it's not going to have a lot of snappy power on it. But if things are loose and like a whip, and we've seen whip and how it goes, um, it you know it cracks at the end for a reason, you know, because it's very very loose. So this wrist, I I kind of hold it naturally um, a little bit cocked in, um, just because it helps me to get that tip of the whip motion a little bit easier. But naturally, if you have the disc nose down and it's sitting in your hand just properly. Um, it's going to, if, especially if everything's loose, it's going to have that natural whipping motion, um, regardless of how you hold it here before, um, you get after that exit progression and coiling. So, um, my biggest thing is just making sure that it, things are staying loose. So you do get that full range of motion when you get to the back and when the disc is coming out of the hand out into your shot. Okay. Yes. That makes a lot more sense. The second question I had to that, we heard, Gan and Bird talk a lot about this at the Seeker Showcase. You've kind of talked a little bit about it. I know we put a reel up of, of Gannon talking about it more, but I just would really like to explain the power grip, especially for all the new disc golfers coming into the game. What is the power grip? When you're gripping it, should your fingernails be the ones that are on the inner rim? Should it be the like tips of your finger? Uh, should it be the... I guess, you know, there's the tip by your nail and then there's the other tip on the face of your finger. I'm doing a maybe a poor job of explaining that. But, like, what part of that finger should be on that inner rim for that power grip? Yeah, I think the biggest thing, just like anything, is always foundation, right? We need to be able to set up the disc properly in the hand so that the power grip is even effective, Um When you look at the palm of your hand, typically people have a middle line and uh, you want to put that disc right into that middle line. And then there's a fleshy part of the index finger that needs to be resting on top. And so when that happens, we are getting great contact, great control. And then when it comes to the actual fingers inside, how I hold it is the actual um, face of my fingers are into the disc so that it's not like really the fingernails. My fingernails never really necessarily touch the disc, but I also cut them. <laughs> so I feel like I have full control. Um, I don't want like a slick surface essentially to for the disc to slip on. Um, and so, yeah, making sure those fingertips are inside the rim. They have good contact. Um, but this setup is really what people get wrong. Um, they'll, they'll place the disc somewhere kind of in the middle or too high, and they'll just kind of grab it. Um, in the wrong areas. And so 
I naturally always kind of find this spot for myself because it's a feel. It's just muscle memory now. Um, but if you're very new to the sport, find your middle part line. Make sure that fleshy part of your index finger is coming onto the top and then wrap all four underneath and get good contact. And then last thing is this thumb. It needs to have down pressure. You need to make sure that your thumb doesn't look like you're hitchhiking. <laughs> we call it hitchhiker thumb syndrome. We have zero contact here. Thumb pressure is crucial to having the disc come out. I mean, arguably the last two digits that a disc comes out of the hand on is your thumb and your index finger. If those two um, aren't working together, the disc is going to have some type of inconsistency coming out of the throw, especially when you're creating a ton of whip um, and torque. It's hyper crucial that you make sure that this is good. So down pressure with the thumb, fingertips inside the rim, and yeah, placing it good in the hand. People get out there um, and they run really fast on the tees and they expect, you know, they're going to change one thing in their game and it's going to be magically 100 feet comes out of their game. Um, this is my precursor, the caution to this. I reinvented my throw and I've got 525 feet by going back to standstills. And I fully committed to that process and I would go uber slow. I mean, if you watch any of my videos, I'm not a James Conrad I'm not somebody who has tons of pace, but I still throw far um, because I, I hit mechanics properly, um, at least for right now. I, I'm not settled. I have tons more potential in my form. But just make sure, guys, you go slow. If you're not going slow, um, you are susceptible to doing things wrong and not hitting the mechanics as sound as they can be. So start off slow. Even go back to standstills to get these movements down. And I think you'll see a lot more success going. Yeah, forward. that's a really good shout. Especially think about it at the amateur level, right? Your number one thing, in my opinion, if you're in, playing in amateur tournaments, which is probably most of you listening to this podcast, right? If you play in C tier tournaments, league nights, those kinds of things, your putting is probably going to be the most important thing. That's what's going to make you win. But you can be a good driver and just thrower of the disc, but it does not matter if you can throw 550 feet if you cannot throw 550 feet accurately, right? If you have a 600, if you have a 450 foot hole, but you rip that thing 475 feet, but you're now 150 feet to the left or to the right. It doesn't matter that you threw it that far. You still have an upshot to make. So your accuracy is really important. So I really am glad that you mentioned that on going back to standstill because I feel like there's almost a stigma about going back to standstill. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to stand. That's for the guy who hasn't ever played disc golf before. I don't think we should be afraid to go to standstill. No, we got to check our egos for sure. If we want improvement, um, it almost goes back. I mean, we look at, at any sport. Um and I always say this just because pro and I, I I'll keep it for the hot take, I guess that we're going to do, but I think it's, I think essentially we, we get caught up on watching pros and make and seeing how fast they go. And we just want to replicate that. And we expect the same results. We need to make sure that we're taking baby steps for everything, improving as we go, building foundational steps to make sure that we are having efficient throwing, but accurate at the same time. So it's, it's hyper crucial that we slow down, get back to standstills, and just be okay with not looking like everybody else. You know, set yourself apart. And I think it's, for me at least, it was a marketable journey as well. Like, people are like, wow, this guy is throwing 380, 390 from standstill. Like, what? Like we, that's everything we got, and he's not even running up. You know, if that's, 
if that is a bone into your competitive edge and you're, you know, that might be one or two strokes that those people let you have simply because mentally they're like, I just can't compete with this guy. He's standing still and he's throwing just as far as me or farther. So, <laughs> well, you're spitting straight fire right now. Amazing <laughs> points. And you've convinced me that all I need to do to beat Quentin is stay, go back to standstill. <laughs> so but if I go back to standstill, we just, we, we even all each right, other you... out. Okay. 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 <laughs> Well, that's fine. Let's, I have let's, let's have a standstill a YouTube off. video where real and maybe we can collaborate on this, Ty. Ty uh, if we did like a like standstill versus James Conrad run up round or something like that, you know what I'm saying? One person or two, you whomever it is, does the standstill. The other person runs as fast as they can, and best case scenario, you're together but it can be done uh not together and you just see the results from that it could literally just be a data collection it could literally just be in the field data collection because let's say you know you, let's say your basis is 350 and then you do standstill okay now it's at 360 and then you do the james conrad run up and you're down to 330 okay well now we can take those data points and right. we can compare it to another person and then another person and we can actually see that hey maybe you actually throw further standstill and maybe you might learn a thing or two from it sorry to interrupt trend that just i could i had to get that off my chest i love that no let's do it but um i think we've had enough I think it's time – you mentioned something about it. It's time for the hot take. Let's get it, Ty. What do, you, what do you got for us? Yeah, my hot take, and I say it to everybody, just because a pro does it, it does not mean that it is right um, or correct. Uh, and my biggest example, because this sport is an athletic sport, and we have to be able to draw parallels across the board. We look at any other sport, we see that even professionals get to – the majors get to the NBA, get to the NFL. And some of them quite honestly have non-efficient and bad mechanics or bad form. And they still can get there. My biggest example that we look at anybody, at least in, in my culture and time, like Lonzo ball, when he was on the come up, his basketball swing was terrible. I think everybody could agree on that. It did not look great. It wasn't efficient, but um, it was marketable because he was, a guy that was doing something very, very different. And he became really good at doing a, a very bad movement. Um, but once he got to a place where he was competing with elites, I think he realized for himself and his coaches realized that like, dude, you really got to have more efficient and, and more elite form. And he went back to the drawing board. And when he did, and he came out essentially with much cleaner, pure form, his his shot and his his analytics, all of his stats went through the roof. And so I just think it's – I think that's just something that if we can draw a parallel from another sport and an elite player um, in, in another sport, why can't that translate into disc golf? If we are being more efficient and being more effective with how we throw the disc and hitting mechanics and going slower, but going back to the drawing board and making sure that we have a good foundation – at least if we build this foundation now and it's good, we can have a massive mansion on top of that. And that's where you see guys like Drew Gibson, Paul Macbeth, Simon Lazat. They built their foundation so strong to where now they're literally mansions 
um, unlike some players out on tour that have a foundation made of sticks and it takes them, you know, they might hit things five out of 10 times, but those five times they don't, that's strokes from the field, you know? And so I just think it's super crucial that we're just because a pro does it doesn't always mean that it's right. You have to watch parts of mechanics that look very sound. I'd say like Drew Gibson's upper body, Paul Gibbs or Paul, uh, Paul McBeth's lower body mechanics, Simon Lazat's back leg stability. I take all those different aspects of these guys' form and I implement it into my own game. I wouldn't say that one player has the best form overall. Um, I think there's just aspects of each player. And if we created a player, which I believe I will be, that has all these different mechanics and we can put them all together, um, I think I'll be you know, the farthest throwing player in the world. And I'm working with a coach that believes the same. Kind of on the same line, everybody's body is a little bit different and allows them to do a little bit different things. Yes, you can stretch and become more flexible. Yes, you can go to the gym and get stronger. Yes, you can get on a diet and do all these things and lose 180 pounds. Right, Ty? We're getting there, baby. We're going to do it. But, um, but like, everyone's body is a little bit different. And I think I love that. I love that uh, thought about taking, like, little aspects of each, you know, you know, four or five, whatever players um, game and like not necessarily mirroring it, but making it work for your body. And then also um, if, if it's a little bit different, it's okay. Right. Like if it works and you're getting the cork, if you're getting the pop and the snap and you're getting the rotation and your plants are, your legs are staying uh, planted until they're, you know, until you're supposed to be rotating and following through, like, don't focus on being exactly like everything Paul Macbeth does or everything Simon Lazat does. Like, look at little aspects of everybody's form and then try to do your best and let your body, because everybody's different, like I said, do what it can and do that to the best that it can. And I think, like you said, just refining it and refining it and keep working on it and it'll get where you want to yeah. be. That's a good, that's a great take. Yeah, I just, some people might not, not think it's all that hot. I think it's the hottest one out there. <laughs> you know, people people lean way too hard on pro form. Everyone says since a pro is doing it, it has to be right. Um, just because a pro does it doesn't always mean it's right. You can get really good at doing things really bad. Yeah, so. I, I think I have nothing really else to add to that that you guys haven't said. Look at baseball. You watch some pitchers and you watch some hitters. If you watch one baseball game, you'll be like, yeah, that guy should not be swinging like that. And he might go three for three. And, you know, three home runs or whatever it is. But just because a pro is doing it does not mean you should be doing it. But what you should be doing is subscribing to the podcast right now to get more amazing tips like this. And if you want to learn more from Taiyi, where can people do that? I know we talked about it already, but one more time before the end of the podcast, let's shout out where more people can connect with you and follow your disc golf journey. Yeah, so I do most of my creative content over on Instagram. That is the platform that I truly believe in. And they have, you know, shown me a lot of love. The community there is very strong. So feel free to go to Tyre Lattice Disc Golf. These guys, I'm sure, can throw it in the description there. Um, however you guys want to find it, that's totally fine with me. But that's where you, I share my story on becoming, you know, the next 
best disc golfer on the planet and the biggest personality. Awesome. Well, hey, Tai, thank you for joining us on the Chain Clinkers Disc Golf Podcast tonight. If you guys want to hear more from him, we're going to be hitting the bone zone. We're going to be going over to Patreon, patreon.com backslash Chain Clankers, and we're going to be hitting the bonus episode. I got you with that one, Trent. I got you with that one. The bone zone. We're going to be hitting it. Zone? We're going to be hitting yeah. it hard over there, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, join us over <laughs> Join Parental us over in the advised. Bone Zone, <laughs> and we will see you guys next week. <laughs>